30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Of all the words in the English language, my favorite might be one of the simplest. It's a single letter, a single syllable, easily drawn as a straight line, so technically it doesn't even break beyond the first dimension. I. A simple word containing inconceivable complexity, I expresses the essence of subjective experience, of selfhood, of being a being that perceives itself as distinct from the wider world around it. And that's a pretty heady concept for one little old line. In our modern world, we're so inundated with words, GIFs, emojis, videos, and other multimedia communication strategies that it's easy to forget how profound letters alone can be. I mean, can you even remember what it was like to be young and see these strange squiggles without understanding what they meant? Before the mystery broke open and you were thrust into the priestly caste of the literate? Our guest today, Philip English, is a man of letters, past and present. He was a co-founder of Catland, an occult bookstore in Brooklyn, which has the honor of being the first store I've ever visited where the shelves were stocked with reprinted grimoires rather than pastel New Age tomes on angel prosperity magic. And he currently offers workshops and readings through Vitki Arts, specializing in the old Norse magic of runes, letters imbued with power and meaning beyond mere syllabic instruction. And so, without any further ado, let's talk to Phil so each of you can learn how to ruin your life. Well, hello, Mr. English. Hello. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you. What's our magic word going to be today? Rune. Rune. Wonderful. One, two, three. Rune. Rune. Oh, we did that great. Didn't fuck it up at all. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't ruin anything. (laughs) I'm going to make rune puns throughout the episode. Okay. So just be prepared for that. All right. Um, so let's talk runes. What's what's the best entry point of how to how to get into this? How to get into vast it? and fascinating topic. Well, my favorite entry point is to define the word. Um, let's start there. A little little etymology. Because usually, when people think about the word rune, they associate it. I think it's safe to say in our culture, we associate it instantly if we know the word with um, uh, the pictograms the ones that were primarily popularized by Tolkien, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but the the letters. Mm-hmm. But rune actually means more than just the Did the Tolkien letter. use real runes, or he kind of just made his own? Man, that's a good question. I believe, for the most part, he used uh, kind of a mixture of runes from various futharks to kind of create his own script. Um, what so, is a futhark, and why was that not oh, a word? Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> sorry. Uh, futhark is... is, is <clears throat> Basically, the pictograms 
we we use that as the term for the alphabets and ah, and, okay. and i mean it's it's it is the like old norse cognate to alphabet because it's literally f u t h a r k yeah like saying like the abcs i would love if the abcs started with f u <laughs> I, I think that would put us on a good foot yeah. yeah well that's i mean that's what the runes uh the runic alphabets do start with great. so love them already it's it's a great it's a great place to start so what does the word rune mean and where does it come from? Uh, it comes from Old Norse. A land of ice and snow. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it has a number of meanings. I know that there's various etymolo- etymologies that tie it to, you, know, you have like Old Frisian, uh, Danish, Norse, different dialects that ha- mm-hmm. bring their own spin to it. But if we just kind of take them all as one like melange of Old Norse dialects, it, y- yes, it does mean letter, and it can also mean script, um, but it also means song. It means poem, mm. um, and it can mean secret. And my personal favorite translation. These is, are a few is, of my favorite things. Is, is yeah, is it, it also <coughs> means mystery. Um, Even better. And so, uh, I feel that we have the letters, which most people attribute uh, to runes or the pictograms, and. These to me are very important symbols, mm-hmm. but they point to bigger mysteries. And so what I like to teach and what I like to help people discover is the bigger mysteries behind kind of the uh, uh, pictograms. And uh, I try to help people not fetishize the pictograms themselves because they're they're the sort of the finger pointing to the moon. Um, I was just thinking of the finger pointing <laughs> to the moon. Yeah. Which finger? Um, I, I'd hope the index. <laughs> But it could be the middle. Yeah, F U Moon. Or yeah, yeah, F U Moon. F U Moon. That's the first <laughs> ABC. <laughs> but and and so I think the best way to get started with runes um, is to look at the we have all these traditional attributions of the Futhark. And, and I, I typically say start with the Elder Futhark. We have various Futharks, Elder, Younger, Anglo-Saxon. So these are basically um, different sets of alphabets. D- different sets of alphabets that are tied to periods in history. Gotcha. Um, that kind of uh, waxed and waned with popularity. Yeah. Um, but the one that you'll find most often in modern magical books is the Elder, uh, which is a set of 24, uh, which is a nice kind of number. Uh, my dad likes to point out that that's the number of, of frets in a traditional guitar. Ooh. Um, and and uh, uh, it, it seems to have like a nice rounded, uh, you know, two sets of 12. 24 uh, has always been a, a favorite number. I remember. Really? Like, yeah. I remember like an exercise that I did in like maybe like third grade where it was some game that we were playing where it was like trying to add different numbers up to get to 24 or something. It was some really? basic kids game. And I was just like, yeah, 24. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. I'm feeling it. I like, you know, hours in the day. Not a fan of the TV show, but pretty much everything else with 24, I'm, I'm, I'm behind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, two years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good number. Yeah. It's a good age. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, you got 24 runes yeah. in, the, in the Elder Futhark. Yeah. And do did they use these to spell out words the same way that we would just use the English alphabet to spell out things or where, how do you get through the doorway into the mystery behind it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think to answer the first one would take a kind of like a long historical diatribe. Um, So I'm going to answer the second one. And if you want the historical diatribe, we can get into it, but I I try not to academicize too much. Sure. Um, 
to me, the best way to step into that doorway, um, it's the, it's common. You get a book about runes. Some are better than others, but you, most of them give you at least the pictogram and some some associations with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, those associations, I feel, are built up over time. Uh, we have cultural context for some of them and historical context, and then uh, the the gnosis, uh, the 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 intuition of you know sometimes hippies in the 70s who were on mushrooms and and sometimes very smart people who were or very tuned in people who were who were meditating deeply on them sometimes um, both yeah sometimes yeah. both sometimes all of the above and i think it's helpful to to look at them study them see if one resonates with you or you can pick one at random mm-hmm. and um spend some time a day you know the uh, some amount of time looking for examples of both the structure of the pictogram in your life um like seeing you know seeing like it. where you can you can notice it like yeah, oh, exactly this, this watermark looks a little bit like that right yeah. right and looking for um its energy its kind of essence in your daily life thinking comparing so i'll give you an example like uh, we have the rune uh, Gifu, or, or act- the the actual Old Norse pronunciation of it is Gabo, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> feels like a, a like, like an elementary school insult. But yeah, uh, 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 Gifu is is or a, like an a, awesome a, action movie star, <laughs> like Gabo. Gabo, yeah, <laughs> kind of Rambo, like queer Rambo. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it. Yeah, <laughs> um, and. This is the rune of mutual exchange. Uh, each gift requires a gift. Every every everything has an exchange rate to it. And, mm, no and, free lunch. And exactly. And finding out where, say, if, if that's what you've picked, seeing where that manifests in your life during some period of time. This, to me, is the best way to begin to approach these mysteries. Um, rather than memorizing their meanings, mm-hmm. uh, trying to kind of tabulate associations of runes. Uh, engaging with them in your daily life uh, opens up what I consider sort of vast avenues of profundity. Um, and what's really neat uh, is that something about the spiritual essence of the runes, the mysteries themselves, seem to like to teach people how they operate. Mm. So if you start engaging with them, then they'll engage back with you. And they'll give you opportunities, sometimes challenges. This is one of the reasons I like to teach because some of them, some of the challenges that certain runes present can be very frightening and very difficult yeah. to, to deal with um, because it's big, vast, chthonic, uh, mm-hmm. uh, titanic forces. Um, but they'll pre- present you opportunities to um, have personal experiences with the runes themselves. And... Um, that is one of the reasons I like them so much because they're mysteries that you can adopt and adapt to in your life. And, um, f- for example, the, it's common to use runes for divination. Uh, I think that the best runic diviners, uh, I've met don't read kind of meanings from a book, right? Like we haven't yeah. memorized, uh, uh, sort of the, the table of say tarot cards and what they mean Kabbalistically with the runes. It's like, um, I think I think it's best when you have a database of memories and associations to how that rune has interacted with you in your life 
to uh, be able to use the benefit of your memory to to translate those experiences to your querent or yourself as you. It's almost like you have two divine. things. Like you have your your own lived experience, and then you have this body of knowledge, and then that experience is the glue that kind of binds those two together. Because I've definitely met the people where it's like they've memorized the Golden Dawn, like yeah. they just like memorize that, but it's not connected with their own life experience it's just a sort of recitation of facts and figures and charts and all of that right and i think that's what i've found um, with other divination systems like you mentioned the tarot is when you start to understand how those symbols ideas powers relate to your own experience and you're not just thinking God, what what were the buzzwords that it connected to? But right. you're like, oh yes, I remember August of 2016. Exactly. Yes, I I know exactly this old symbol. Here we go. Right. And and what happens when you do that, especially as a diviner, uh, when I read for people, I now have associations with the runes that go way off map. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that go way off script. And I have to tell people if they know runes when they come come to get a reading from me, I have to tell them basically, sometimes I'm even like, don't even look at the runes. We're not going to talk about the runes that fall. Yeah. Like, I'm going to give you your reading, but we're not going to talk about the meaning of the rune because it's a, it becomes a dialogue between me and the rune. And sometimes the rune is referencing like, oh, you remember this thing with your uncle that happened and I was like present? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm referring to in this moment. And it has nothing to do with say like, Isa would be ice has yeah. nothing to do with the normal associations of ice um it's not just going through and like translating each one into a few words and then being like oh so that means this and that means that it's more like oh, I've got a whole thing to tell you right now right like I can just see them kind of I can see the gestalt emerge and this is what the message is communicating exactly oh fascinating how did you discover runes or how did runes discover you um I have the benefit of being born uh, into a, a Norse neo-pagan household. My You're dad ruined from day yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Technically, I, I was about nine when it became really kind of part of my consciousness. Yeah. Um, my dad was a single parent, total hippie, uh, experimented with psychedelics and Wicca and paganism and Satanism and all all of the the new age like. Uh, oh, smorgasbord of 1978 through 1988 that you could the imagine. apple doesn't fall far from the world tree huh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and uh at some point my dad settled into what we would now call like wicca true uh, because before the internet we didn't have great sources for things so so like there what wasn't wicca true um in the early 90s yeah uh I think that was probably the most common form of Norse paganism, which is essentially you take Wicca mm-hmm. and you take the structure and the, the ceremony and the resources that Wicca And then you do you, a Norse pagan mod. And then you throw, exactly, yeah. it, it, you, you reskin it for, for <laughs> Norse paganism. And that, that's, that's roughly how I was, how I was raised. And, and, and uh, I, I was raised believing that that was the reconstructed, religion of pre-christian norse people which, which is which, a part of the wicca package is like exactly this has deep historical roots just don't look behind the curtain exactly so and it's a, like what flavor of wicca do you want do you want druidic do you want norse pagan do you want blue raspberry like we've got <laughs> we've got everything you can just pick and choose northern wicca, lights northern lights yeah blueberry kush <laughs> yeah exactly choose your wicca um so i had that and as part of that we did runes and Thankfully, 
the internet gives us good sources mm -hmm. and uh my dad at some point joined a kind of like a mail order um norse mystery school also also based on rosicrucianism because of the topic that we're talking about i, okay. I feel like i need to clarify this when you say mail order do you mean an order comprised of male people or do you mean through the mail that's an amazing question <laughs> um i didn't think to answer that uh i mean through the mail gotcha okay i thought that might be the case but it, it, it could have gone either way which was more common uh during the 70s through well actually i, I think the history of mail order occultism starts with like theosophy so so, oh, so I mean, yeah you, you, i mean that was um there, um, yeah, like like Mitch Horowitz's book talks about a bunch of those different things. There yeah. were so many of these things where people were like selling it out of the back of Weirdo magazine and like exactly, you know, understand the six true natural laws of the universe right to this address in like Billings, Montana. Yeah, and that's exactly what my dad did with, but it was an order that was doing uh, runes. Oh wow! And teaching runes and teaching kind of like this this western hermeticized so we kind of went through through like a wiccan version of norse paganism to a hermetic version of norse paganism mm -hmm. and then my dad left all his books he he taught me a lot of rune stuff but mostly just divination when i was yeah. nine and we were doing kind of very wiccans wheel of the we wheel of the year ceremonies mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that but where i really um uh took off in my career was as like a, a precocious reader and my dad leaving around uh his like mail order occult like yeah. pamphlets and all of his books and i would just sneak into his like bookshelf and just i'm take just picturing you like going into the back of your dad's sock drawer and you're like all these porno mags like just like pulling yeah. them out of the way yeah. and then you're like oh this dog-eared copy of this occult tome like paracelsus here we go that's what i was looking for that's almost exactly what it was like except i didn't Ignore the porn. <laughs> I also looked at the porn. We'll save that for the bonus episode. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you started exploring this and then got more and more into it as a teenager, I'm assuming. Um, weirdly, it, it, there was sort of a, a, a sine wave. It was, it was sort of a parabolic mm. arc where it, it was something very important to me in adolescence. And then at the time... Or around the time I was about 15, uh, I got really into punk rock and Marxism and, and yeah. materialism. And, mm -hmm. said, and you know, you rebel against your parents. Yes. And what your parents are into is not cool. Your psychedelic Norse pagan dad. You're yeah. like, oh, you're not cool at all, man. Yeah, exactly. And I got I, I, I some of that started with being into like black metal in mm -hmm. my adolescence and, and being like, oh, you're just not dark enough yeah. and, and getting into a lot of like the Viking metal bands and that being kind of my identity. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, punk rock sort of, uh, turned me into a materialist mm. and just a general, I, I don't think I've ever been an atheist, but just put me in kind of an agnostic place. An agnostic front. Yeah. 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 And it put me into an agnostic front. Um, and, that lasted until I was about like 19 years old and I had uh, like a profound conversion experience where uh, I found myself kind of leaving my body one morning and becoming face to face with Odin, the God, and having what was basically like a profound psychedelic experience without drugs. Wow. Um, that from then on out became my my thing because 
I was in bed. Next thing I know, I've left my body. It's not a dream. It's more real than reality has ever felt. I go, I cross the rainbow bridge into the astral plane. I see Odin, and then I come back down to my body with, with you know, after a spontaneous out-of-body experience with the notion that I've just been given a mission to go forth and learn magic. Holy smokes. And and um, I've looked into uh, the, the only equivalent experiences I could I could find, you know, to something like that would be uh, some sort of psychosis, schizophrenia or um, I think it's types of like frontal lobe epilepsy. Mm. Uh, and I, I say this in a lot of interviews because I've been checked out six ways to Sunday. Yeah. Look, because I would like a. a, a it would almost be liberating to have an explanation for that to, to for somebody to say, "Oh, well, you have frontal lobe epilepsy," and I'd be like, "Oh, that's what that was." Yeah, but I don't. I uh, and and uh, I've had the psyche valves, and uh, it just turns out that I had this experience. I've chased it with drugs, like I've tried to replicate it, and I've come close, but never quite as like earth shattering as that. The, the spontaneous psychedelic experience is one that I've not experienced myself but always been interested in because um, I know there's a, a Harvard researcher that looked into alien abductions not from the lens of like are these little green men and UFOs but he's like why are so many people reporting these experiences and he yeah. did you know, years of interviews and did really rigorous research and he came to the conclusion he's like it makes zero sense like the 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 Occam's razor of like they're all faking it makes zero mm-hmm. sense because these events are incredibly disruptive of these people's lives. Like none of them would have just been like, oh, hey, you know what I wanted to do is like completely disrupt my life and like take this like hard left turn off of the the path of consensus reality. Like none of these people would have like willingly chose that. It's very disruptive. But um, I remember reading in one of those old disinfo books all of these accounts about it happening during sex. People that were like having sex and they're like, oh, and here I am in a medieval village for like a day and then like coming back into their body. And there's like so many of these that I don't know. I don't have a thesis about how to explain them, but it definitely seems to be a part of the human psyche that sometimes you just um, you just end up on a God's uh, God's calendar for that day. And they're like, oh, hey, (laughs) yeah, you. Yeah. I summon thee. Right. I, I, you know, I wonder if that's what it feels like to be a spirit who gets summoned. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you, like, you mentioned it, like, I wonder if that's what it, if you just, if, if when you summon a spirit, they're just going about their day and suddenly. I was having ghost <laughs> sex and now I'm here and there's like four nerds and they've got candles going and they're asking me to help them find something. Like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Okay, so Odin gives you uh, the message was that you need to pursue magic, or was it more specific, or right. just it, it wasn't verbal. Yeah, it, it it became that's how I put words to what happened because I I, I had to sit with what what the fuck was that? I can yeah. cuss on this podcast, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to sit with what the fuck was that? What just happened? Um, and while it was happening, I kind of knew knew what it was, and before that experience the myths mm-hmm. read to me like myths. They read to yeah. me like stories and they didn't read to me like astral truths mm-hmm. until that experience where the first thing that happened is my vision turned into like rainbow sparkle light. Yeah. 
and and I kind of intuited like, oh, I get what we th- what what we talk about when we talk about Bifrost, when we talk about the the Rainbow Bridge. We're not talking about a literal arced bridge. Rainbow Road, like, Mario sixty four. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about the the um the transitional period between this and that and 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 the fact that like everything becomes kind of prismatic light Mm -hmm. in that moment that's that's the actual bridge between here and there um and there wasn't like a convo it was two gods like uh, there was a heimdall Mm -hmm. moment when i'm leaving the bridge heimdall being the the god who guards guards the realm of men like they say in uh in nobody uh, sees the wizard not (laughs) nobody not know how (laughs) (laughs) exactly uh and um you know a, a brief glimpse of heimdall and then a brief audience with odin that filled me with um whatever the opposite of atheism is yeah. like uh Theism? i guess i guess it, 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 i mean it felt uh gnosis is a decent word mm-hmm. it, it, it felt like uh the divine was making itself very present to me like and and filling me with with no doubt like that there is something greater uh and i don't have good words for it because i'm not religious i don't love organized religion mm-hmm. i i don't even love organized norse religion yeah. um uh, but I definitely left being a, I left that experience being a theist in some sense. Well, I've been, I've been a lifelong agnostic. And I think what's so funny is you're hitting the exact reason for that. It's like, even in high school, I was like, atheism seems dumb because I want to leave room for like the, the middle of the night when I wake up and there's a 10 foot tall thing with a flaming sword standing over my bed. And it's like, I've got a mission for you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to work this into my frame of reality i don't want to just be like no nah not not buying it gary who is who's got the smoke machine like what's going on like no like i like i want to have that room that's like oh yeah if a fucking god taps you on the shoulder you gotta you gotta at least hear him out (laughs) yeah yeah now what what year was this um i believe it was early 2004 okay so that's a few years before we get the Thor films. Right. How do those compare? Weirdly, some of the astral, the the Bifrost bridge stuff, mm-hmm. actually kind of... Kind of tracks? F- kind of tracks. Yeah. The rest of it, it, not very much, but I really like it. Yeah. I really like the Thor movies a lot. Yeah. Um, it wasn't very space opera-y. It was more spacey than... I I actually think that the doctor's the the sort of astral travel scenes in the Doctor Strange movie track. Oh more. yeah, yeah. When she like <laughs> flicks him in the head and like yeah. sends him on the DMT trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to point out that I also have done the research, and um, as a technicality, if I'm not mistaken, Odin in the Marvel universe did create the Earth. Mm. If you if you it, it, Odin appears to be the supreme deity of Midgard. If you if you follow like the Marvel extended universe. Oh, wow. Pantheon, because there's it's, multiple gods, but yeah. Odin actually created Earth like he actually is a creator of worlds. Yeah. Um, 
so unlike Galactus, who's a fucking devourer yeah, of worlds. Dick. Dick. Um, and then there's like other pantheons in the Marvel universe, but yeah. none of them. I couldn't find any other ones that also lay claim to being the the actual All Father that Odin does. And then beyond that is the Living Tribunal. Which yes, is, yeah, I've I've been he, down the rabbit hole, and there's like, the God God. But, yeah, there's living. No, there's there's a couple above him too. Oh, oh that's I've right. Been, okay. I've been down that rabbit hole of like who are the 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 supreme gods of the Marvel universe. But I like Death and Eternity. I think okay. Death and Eternity are pretty good. And they're like that Galactus is sort of like in between them somehow, but then also yeah. is just going around munching down worlds. It's like you think the thing that's between death and eternity would have a little bit more than just like eating people's worlds. Is eternity considered the the supreme there's like a what's the Deus Ex Machina that runs There's it all? the Living Tribunal and then there's something else. There's like I forget. I'm, I'm okay. I, it's like he who cannot be named or something. But there's right. like, if if you Jack go Kirby. down the the Marvel wiki rabbit hole, you'll eventually find something that's kind of like a Judeo Christian god to some extent. That's like the ultimate being, but it's like right. you know, well that that vague god. My god is the Marvel creator god of Earth. That's yes. all I'm saying. Yeah, we we got that old one eye. <laughs> Um, so awesome. So all right. So Odin sets you on this path, yeah. and then um, you start dropping your punk rock materialism, I imagine, and getting back into your runic roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, how did how did runes help you and aid you on that path? That's a great question. That's the kind I like to ask. So I can think of a couple of examples, please, because the runes. I've had them internalized for so long. Mm-hmm. I describe them as my magical operating system. Yeah, um, which is not a perfect metaphor, but it's a decent one. For uh, it, it, it's it's not exactly. Well, let me rephrase that. OS Gabo. Yeah, exactly. Um, OS Gabo. I work with other strands and streams of magic. Uh, I work with. Other spiritual paths, um, because I feel that I've been kind of given a mission to understand where it all connects and and how it all overlaps, mm-hmm. and to embrace the mysteries. That's that's just kind of what my life is is about since that moment. And um, that being said, I've had experiences with other magical prep paradigms Mm -hmm. where I found myself getting stuck and have used the runes which are so internalized to me and that I I just know them so well at this point to unstick myself so an example of this would be um uh like Enochian magic doing Mm -hmm. doing scrying in the Enochian aethers uh Mm -hmm. which is uh that's a subject that's a podcast unto itself but roughly you know Using the the angelical language of of John D and Edward Kelly to to uh, scry uh, another plane, yeah, and and finding myself lost there, trying to speak the language there, and and not really finding my way, and just spontaneously like the tour is going around being like Don Don esta banyo banyo right excuse, like excuse me excuse exactly me. <laughs> exactly and just stopping and going like basically. Yeah, fuck this. I have a rune for this, and yeah. and 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 kind of projecting into that space. Uh, Kinas, the the um, 
in in younger foods arc we we associate it with the torch and fire mm. er, earlier associations are actually with um ulcers <laughs> uh that's a mystery unto itself the fire within uh, yeah exactly um but using it as the astral torch and lighting up and 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 casting it out and 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 projecting it uh to light up the environment that i'm yeah. trying to scry that's one example right so so the the runes become kind of astral tools to to propel myself through having some degree of of competence with runes that i might mm. not have with other magical tools uh and possibly having um kind of an interface with um universal mysteries with a personalized uh, uh pictogram set that allows me to tap into them uh which i think is like i think that's a very interesting point that you bring up because that's sort of the foundation of magic is you go you go too far off into universal mysteries and it's so abstract it's right. so non-human that it it it's, a, it's like we were talking about earlier. It's like it's the academic info that doesn't plug back into your life. And that's why we have to have these gods that aren't just the sort of void, but they're more personalized and they right. care more about human affairs because those serve as that interface that they have one foot in the universal mysteries. But then they also care about us getting that job that we're trying to interview for or like getting into a better relationship and doing the human things. And I think it's important to have that interface between our everyday life in our universal mystery life right right and and that kind of ties into the fact that the runes are there's more runes than just the 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 letters of the futhark so yeah. so the runes are also the the songs that the gods sing <laughs> and 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 they are the um the the they are basically every puzzle that that's not meant to be solved mm. um and tapping into that goes beyond culture mm -hmm. um it goes beyond ethnicity um this is one of the reasons i think that the the kind of the white supremacist appropriation of runes is so silly let's and, get into that so yeah like just stupid yeah. <laughs> um uh it, in short uh, uh, to get into it um i find it asinine to think that you have um a system of universal symbols that doesn't apply universally yeah or that you have an all-father creator god uh who created who fashioned the, i actually think fashioner god is better because yeah. he didn't create the earth he kind of fashioned it out of fashioner is not fascist yeah no, fashioned yeah no i know i know i'm saying fashioner is not fascist <laughs> yes <laughs> fascism is not fashionable Fashion, not fascism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um but who fashioned the world and who breathed life into humanity i i think it's asinine to think that you could have that uh, but have it only apply to um, one specific like skin color or ethnicity. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, like you know, <laughs> any like any religion that claims to be a universal truth, and then it's like, but God seemed to only care about this one group of people. Right. And I'm like, that seems like one group of people story. Yeah. Like, I think the the religions that have always resonated more with me are where they're they're like, this is totally transferable. Right. Like we don't have to work that hard to like move buddhism into the west i mean there's ideas that don't translate as well but like the concept the core concept is like 
accessible anywhere. Like you right. can you can you can port it over. And I think I think you might have been one of the people that shared this. I saw this going around, but there was some you know like buddies like tweet that got shared on Facebook because that's all we do these days is yeah. we we post one thing from one platform on another platform. But they were basically saying like. Don't let the Nazis just claim our shit. Like, right. Like, it's like, it reminds me of like little kids where it's like, oh, I licked my hand and I touched that. Now it's mine. And it's like, no. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. Like, you don't get Pepe the Frog. You don't get fucking Norse mythology as a whole. Like, just because some Nazis are into it doesn't mean it's ruined for everybody else. It means that the other people that are into it need to hold the fucking boundary and kick the assholes out. Right. Like, we didn't just surrender punk rock and, like, dead Kennedys didn't say, oh, hey, everyone, Nazis are coming to the scene. Like, no more punk rock. We're all going to go play country western. They said Nazi punks fuck off. Right, right. And I think that's what the answer is here is, like, yeah, Norse fascists fuck off. Oh, absolutely. And I think one way... Get a hammer well, in the dickle. One way to help, I don't think that the, I don't think that any fascists actually care about history. Um, but one any way, fascists that are listening to my podcast, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. Subscribe to my Patreon and then get the fuck out of here and don't listen anymore. <laughs> or or do listen and change. <laughs> or do listen and change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's there. You go. That's the, that's that's the better answer. Um, and, and and for anybody interested and those uh, who might want to change, um, if we look at the history of the runes mm-hmm. and if we look at the history of pre-Christian Norse religion, um, and and one misnomer is that the runes have nothing to do with Christianity. The runes were, were prominent during the Christianization of Scandinavia yeah. and Northern Europe. It's there, um, but if we're if we're talking about paganism. Uh, and pre-Christian paganism in Northern Europe. Uh, I know mostly about Scandinavia. I don't know much about the you know the other parts of Northern Europe. But um, we have a history of migrations and flows and a big influence from the Mediterranean mm-hmm. within Norse paganism. The the even the, the the notion of the warring tribes of the Aesir, which which um, one translation is 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 literally the Asians. Mm. Uh, we have uh, Snorri Sturluson, um, who is uh, the the poet who's basically responsible for all of the revival of Norse myth mythos and poetry. Oh um, wow. uh, what is the name uh, again? It's, uh, it's an Icelandic name, so so yeah. it's uh, Snorri Sturluson. Uh, okay, and uh, my my Icelandic pronunciation is horrible, so that's the best I can do. But that's if, fine. But Google you, will help. People. If you Google S N O R R I, yeah, he'll come up. Awesome. Um, uh, he he uh, has a has an interpretation of of the migration of Asian tribes uh, as the the birth of the warring tribes of uh, the Norse myths. So you have the Vanir, which are typically re- we refer to them as kind of like more. Uh, Earth-based religious yeah. uh, impulses and and deities, and then you have the Ace here, which sometimes you just see like kind of obstructed as like the sky gods, but yeah. but that that are more um, cosmopolitan in nature, mm. um, and they war, and there's a lot of uh, reverberation of uh, Mediterranean like influence and and flows of tribes uh, migrating in and out of Northern Europe and Scandinavia. Uh, it's apparent to me. I, I there's lots of debate about this. I'm I'm not very academic uh, uh, about it, but I try to pay attention to academia, um, or at least the the academic uh, understanding of the runes. Um, but m- to me, the best uh, 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 
theory of um, where the Futhark, where the, where the pictograms come from, is via Phoenicia, the Phoenician alphabet, uh, the Etruscan alphabets. The, the, these are things that don't originate in the north in some vacuum because they come of, in, they get adopted, yeah, they get transformed. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's so many influences from so many, not just white parts of the world that flow into um, the history of this mythos, uh, the spiritual stream, these magical practices um, that uh, I, I think one at least inoculation against uh, xenophobia <laughs> in adopting them, or or at least um, against the notion that if you adopt these, that you're doing something that's exclusively white, mm-hmm. uh, is to acknowledge that. And um, one way to um, maybe work against some of the magical iconography, especially of like the Nazis and and later. Um, uh, fascist rune magicians, and I'll go ahead and say, I mean, there there have been fascist rune magicians. Yeah, they exist. I'm not going to to erase that, and uh, I think that it's a a, a dangerous belief to, to assume that your enemies don't do magic or that they don't do magic right. as good as you do. Mm-hmm. And that I see often, especially in a lot of like sort of contemporary millennial uh, magical circles that are doing uh, admirable um, political work. But there seems to be the assumption that one's enemies aren't also doing witchcraft, or that witchcraft is inherently uh, is inherently woke. Oh um, yeah, I mean the pent up <laughs> masturbatory energy of 4chan got Donald Trump elected. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we can we can go burn sage and hex him all we want, but he's in office because somebody's magic worked. Exactly. Um, that being said, one I think inoculation against this. I wish I knew which Tumblr it was, but there's an amazing tumblr article where somebody kind of took down the idea of the super angular runes mm. so the super like when we think of runes right and that this was news to me and i've i shouldn't say news but it but it it changed my perspective on things uh even though i've worked with runes my whole life mm-hmm. um when you look at our sources historically for runes stones bractates archaeological stuff uh artifacts and runestones mm-hmm. um the runes themselves are not hyper angular they're actually sort of curved and 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 kind of sometimes they're 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 not neat and straight lines they're they're hand carved and they're rounded and they can be bunched up and and they can be chaotic and 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 not like they're they're not um the the uh, hyper Nordic straight um, Aryan crew cut. exactly yeah. that that w- that we think they are. Um, I will get you that Tumblr if there's any way to get that out to people. I think people should read that um, because it it, it it appears that the notion of the super like neat and straight crew cut runes does start with German Romanticism and then and and then this idea of like. Uh, 19th century kind of German like engineering purity and 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 that leads into uh, Nazi shit <laughs> straight road into the Nazi shit yeah yeah. Um, yeah I just remember what is it like Alan Moore has a great essay uh, bog Venus or Nazi not Nazi cockering and he talks about this device that was used in Germany for the generation that grew up to be like 
you know, the Nazi generation. And it was this metal ring that had spikes that you were supposed to put around a boy's penis. So if he got an erection at night, it would poke him and stop that because they they were concerned concerned about um, the penis gets erect at night. And that was not right. And they wanted to fix that. And so you put a bunch of spiky cock rings on your sleeping children and that's uh then you get angular runes yeah it's a slippery slope it's a slippery slope so let's talk about a slippery slope on the other side of the mountain where a small action can have wonderful magical benefits in one's life and what's something that people can do a little spell that they can do to engage with runes and sort of bring some of that rune energy into their life in a positive way that's a very good question. Um, I'm going to share a, a small daily ritual that I do Please. all the time. It's it's very simple. Um, Wake up, take off your spiked cock ring, and then what do you do? You find a rune that you want to embody. Uh, you want to take it into you. This is basic like Eucharistic magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend... You know, some runes are are better and more friendly to beginners than others. Can you recommend a couple? Um, yes, I will. Uh, so, Wio, the rune of the sun and, and solar influence. Urus, the aurochs. Uh, typically, we associate it with kind of um, strength and, and vitality and good health. Uh, Algis, um, uh, sometimes pronounced Elhas, uh, which it's it's kind of meaning it's english meaning is 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 rough but usually it's one of of shielding and life force and mm. and and um protection if you will yeah um those are good places to start great finding one that resonates with you um and taking you could do it i do it with drinking a lot right so alcohol or water yeah. <laughs> um literally with your index finger making the shape of the the pictogram above what you're about to ingest mm-hmm. and um, doing what uh, magically echo galder which is the the magic of singing chanting or carving uh, uh, runic things into existence so as you're kind of carving the shape of the rune in the air with your finger also, if, if you're a chanter, you can chant the actual name of the rune or just say it, just speak it as you carve. And then you will be imbuing the medium of your drink with the substance of the rune. And um, then you drink it and you take it into you and then you become that for some time. Which is what we did with the medium of mead, which we're drinking right now throughout this episode. This exactly. This bottle of mead that you brought over. Yes. We did that before recording. Wow. Look and, at this time travel and magic. We did the spell before we came up with the spell. <laughs> it's amazing. And then if you want to bring it up a notch, um, you can, if you bake, make some sort of baked good with the rune carved, pre-carved into mm. it. Um, you can make cakes. You Ooh. can make you can make runic sort of, sugar cookies. Exactly, runic yeah. food um, with intent, right? Yeah. Basic magic one hundred and one. If you just kind of slop a rune on there, it's it's not the same as as yeah. really kind of putting your energy into it. But then that that's a really great way to start 
engaging with that's my favorite phrase engaging with for, for some reason i i think in terms of engagement with runes um but engage exactly yeah. engage yeah um engaging with uh and um embodying various runic energies and i love what you said earlier too about like when, when you find one of these that resonates with you look for it look yeah. for it you know like oh does that add have it tucked into the corner in some weird way or the the shadow or whatever wherever you can spot it and think about where you are in that moment yeah and how that energy is is coming through yeah and and they tend to manifest i mean you, you'll see them in architectural patterns you'll see them in trees leaves snowflakes like they're, they're, they they're out there they, yeah you can find them anywhere um uh, I have a friend whose favorite place to go and look for runes to speak to her mm-hmm. is the um, the gem exhibit in the Natural History Museum. Ooh, that's a good one. She she will go and just walk around yeah. and try to find runes within the gems. Beautiful. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. For more of Phil's work, visit vitkeyarts.com. That's V-I-T-K-I. A-R-T-S dot com. And if you want to throw a few more magic letters into the old browser, you can visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where a donation of $4.20 unlocks the magical mystery of true participation in this ritual, which this week comes with a bonus episode. That's right. We have a special bonus episode where Philip English walks us through a runic reading just for this ritual. So just for this podcast as a ritual, he did a reading. So no matter when you're listening to it, it's going to fit what you need and give you a little bit of advice from beyond the veil. So tune in at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. Until next time, I'm I, you're you, and together that spells magic.